This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. In John chapter 14, if you're familiar with what we have in front of us tonight, you know what this is the beginning of. John 14, 15, and 16, this trilogy, this trinity of chapters, are words that come from the Lord Jesus as he expressed to his disciples, his sincere followers, how to be prepared for the days to come because he was going to leave them. Now, he's been telling them he's going to leave. He's on his way to Calvary. Much of these words come from that room, that upper room where they've been spending time together with that last meal. But it's almost as if, if you'll use your imagination again tonight, it's almost as if the disciples are recognizing you really are going to leave. Because Jesus says to them, you know it, you know. You've almost got it memorized. But, but think about Jesus, the Savior, looking at his followers and he's looking at troubled countenances and he says, come on, let not your heart be troubled. Fellas, you believe in God, don't you? And they'd be nodding, yes. Well, believe also in me. What I'm telling you, it's true. Hey, fellas, come up close. Let me tell you something. In my father's house... <laughs> There are many mansion dwelling places. Yeah, isn't that something? And I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm coming back. I will come again and take you and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there ye may be also. They, of course, had questions about where he was going. And, and he said, now, fellas, when I'm gone, when I'm back with the Father, I'm going to ask the Father, <coughs> I'm going to pray to the Father that he will send one exactly like me to be with you. I will pray the Father that he will send you another, another, someone exactly the same comforter. And he will be with you. He goes on to tell them, if you'll dwell with me, that is, take up residence with me. Don't be in and out in relation or fellowship with me. Stay, stay uh, close to me. Stay knitted with me. If you dwell close to me, I, 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 will, be in, I will be there with you through everything you're going to face. And he talked to them about the office of the Holy Spirit and what he would do for them. And here in chapter 14, I ran across a verse, believe it or not, when I was a teenager, that really spoke to my heart. But as the years went by, I knew it was there, but somehow or another it had kind of grown distant from me. Just a few years ago, in a time of, of questions and disturbance in my own life about my own future, God in His grace brought me back to this one verse. Verse 27, would you look at it with me? Jesus simply said to those troubled disciples, he said, peace 
I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. And now he's going to say what he said earlier on. Let not your heart be troubled. The wording there is stop allowing your spirit within you to be fearful. Don't let it happen. Folks, it's, it's almost like a beautiful melody. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. It's very poetic. Can I tell you what it was? It was a command. He says, don't let, don't let yourself be troubled. Don't be afraid. Now, I'm a kid who grew up. I'm not a kid anymore. I feel like a kid, but I, I was a kid back in the, in the 60s and 70s. That was my time, all right? That's 19. 60 and 70. Those were unique days. They really were. Anybody who went through those days will tell you that culture was an incredibly unique culture. For further reference, go back and look at that old yearbook from somebody's high school from that generation. You see some strange things. Uh, Unique hairstyles. You know, hairstyles change through the years and everything. But, I mean, uh, we were invaded from Great Britain. There was the British invasion of uh, they called them musicians, and they came here in the, in, across the country, across the globe, and they changed uh, a lot of the music that, that is still being affected to this day. No question about it. And it changed a lot of the hairstyle, especially on guys, and the, cl- the clothing that we would wear. <laughs> it was unusual. I mean, I mean, they really were wild-looking colors and, and styles. I mean, it was just a, a, a unique time. I mean, I can remember uh, guys would wear... Uh, pants, uh, bell-bottom pants, it, it's big old, I mean, big bell-bottom pants. I mean, like eight feet on either side. I mean, it was just big things. And, and on your pant, you had uh, paisleys, you know, unique decorations on, I mean, paisleys on your pants. And I don't even mean small paisleys. I mean, big boys. I mean, just big old paisleys. You say, how do you know that? None of your business. And so I, I, we would wear some of those clothes and it was the norm. It was unusual. And vocabulary changed during those days. Now, honestly, there were words that began to be a part of, uh, of, uh, of our teenage uh, verbiage. And everybody picked up on it. And some of the words are still with us. They're still with us. They came out, they were birthed out of that culture of time, honestly. And so much so that it's just a part of us. But there were some words that are gone for which we're all grateful. How about this one? Groovy, you know? <laughs> I'm glad that one's gone. Every once in a while when someone's acting goofy, they'll say, hey, man, that's groovy, you know. And that's not a word that we use. But did you know the word cool came out of that time? It's an amazing thing. Uh, I, I, I actually went online and, and, and uh, uh, tried, I found uh, you know, vocabulary of the 60s. And, and since uh, uh, the, the Internet never leads you astray, uh, they, uh, they gave us all kinds of words. I looked up all kinds of words, and the word cool came up during that time. I mean, I mean before that time, it was like, you know, looks like we're going to have a cool day. It just had reference to do with the weather. But no, all of a sudden it became a part of our vocabulary, and we still use it to this day. We say, hey, man, that's cool. And if something was really cool, it was boss. Man, that's boss. 
That was cool on steroids, is what I say. And if something was bad, we said, uh, bummer. That's a bummer. Now, some of these words you still hear. I know that. And we'd call people a hippie, you know, in that culture. And, and we didn't even greet, you know, you didn't greet people, you know, with a handshake or even a fist bump. It was around that time that, that somewhere along the way we just said, hey, give me five, you know, give me five. And if you were really cool or boss, you would say, give me some skin, you know, you know, like that. Well, you know, that thing's gone crazy. It went from this to high fives and, and side and, and, and chest bumps and head bumps and who knows where it's going to stop, you know. And somewhere also along the way, there came another word that was expressed. It was all over the United States, everywhere you looked. And that word was a part of our vocabulary. And it usually was accompanied by a hand gesture of this. And it would help if you could slouch a little bit and say, peace, man. Today we'd say, peace, dude, or whatever. Whatever the word is today, peace. The world's been looking for peace. Let me think. Ever since the Garden of Eden, political applicants to office promise that they will help bring peace. Presidents talk of peace in the United States and in the Middle East and across the globe. People say, I just want to have some peace in our family. We want societal peace, global peace. Someone says, I want a peace of mind. On the side of law officers, enforcement vehicles, it will say, preservers of peace. I'm thankful for them. People want inner peace. We even say when someone dies, some people say, may he rest in peace. NATO cannot promise nor give peace. The United Nations cannot give peace. Nobel Peace Prize winners don't have peace to give. There is no peace made available through an organization, through a man, unless it's the God-man, Jesus Christ. People have sought peace in a liquor bottle. They've sought peace through a needle with illicit drug. They've looked for peace in a new job, in immorality, in the gaining of possessions in fame and being famous, in having power and authority over people, getting more money, having more money, and everything that they try to find peace falls short. And most of the time when people are seeking for peace, they don't even know what it is they're looking for. They just know they don't have it. And all of the so-called religious leaders of yesteryear and even of today uh, promise and express things like, you know, be at peace with yourself. Smile at people. It'll breed peace in your own life. Well, I believe in smiling, but there may not be peace on the inside. There were people in the scriptures who didn't have peace. 
Abraham and Sarah were told that they were going to have a baby and that their baby would rise up to be a, the, the, the inheritor of a great nation, that Abraham would be the father of a great and mighty nation, and he was. But Abraham and Sarah, out of frustration and a lack of peace, said, what are we going to do? How long is this going to take? We're old now. We've got to have this baby. What are we going to do? And so they took matters in their own hands. And the Middle East has never been the same. Elijah sat in a cave. And he was all in despair because the queen, the most wicked queen of all time, Jezebel, promised to chop off his head within 24 hours. And he went running away. He ducked down underneath the shade of a juniper tree and then found himself in a cave and told God, I'm the only one. I'm the only one that wants to do right. And God said, here, eat some more food, get another nap. And Elijah, you're not the only one who follows me. I've got 7,000 people who haven't bowed the knee to the idols of Baal. He said, you're number 7,001. He says, just take another nap and here's another meal. But Elijah, the great man of God, he didn't have peace. Job. Job lacked peace while in the darkness of his journey. Naomi. Naomi was a woman who, you know, the book of Ruth could have been entitled Naomi. There's so much about her in that book. And she was all torn up because she she followed her husband as a submissive wife. She went to the land of Moab. She was just doing what she was supposed to do as a good wife. Went to the land that... Israelites were not to have anything to do with. And there they were. And over there she lost her husband to death and lost her two sons to death. And now she doesn't have her family. She's got two daughters-in-law and she starts going back to Bethlehem. And one of those daughter-in-laws, Ruth, goes with her and she says, just go back. No, Ruth said, I'm going with you. And Naomi says, when she comes back to Bethlehem, don't even call me Naomi anymore. My life is not pleasant, which is the name Naomi. She says, call me Mara, which means bitter. My life's a mess. It's just all bitter. You ever read that? You know what I find myself wanting to do when I read that in in, in chapter 2 of the book of Ruth? I want to just say, hang in there, Ruth. It's going to get real good in two more chapters. You're going to be holding a grandbaby pretty soon, and you're going to be weeping as you're holding that grandbaby, so much so that the neighbor ladies name the kid. You know, they ask her, what are you going to name the kid? And she's just bawling. So they said, okay, we'll name the kid Obed. If you don't want your kid to have a strange name, uh, (laughs) don't cry all the time. The lady, Naomi, was rejoicing at the goodness of the Lord, but not in the early part of this life story. And I may be looking at some folks here tonight and some people may be listening online. There may be people, and you cover it up well, but you're living in a state of distress right now. I don't know. It was Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher of yesteryear, which said, who said every, every child of God has either just come out of a storm of life or they're in the middle of a troublesome storm or they're about to enter into a troublesome storm. It may be family-related, It may be financially related. It may be physically related. It may be employment related. It may be future related. It may be just your own emotions. I don't know, but there are things going on in your mind and in your life that there is a sense of fear, worry, anxiety, trouble, no peace. 
And Jesus looks at you as he looked at those disciples that he loved and he said, I leave you my peace. I am leaving, but I'm giving you an inheritance. Peace I leave with you. Now the Bible speaks about peace. It speaks about having peace with God and having the peace of God. There is a difference. The Bible says there is no peace, says the Lord, to the wicked. Isaiah said that in Isaiah 48 and verse 22. To the wicked, he's referencing those who have no relationship with God. There is no peace, saith the Lord, to the wicked. The unsaved have no peace with God. Oh, they may have some laughs. They may have some enjoyment in life, but there's no eternal settled peace in their being. But Paul said in the book of Romans and said in chapter 5, he says, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Wait a minute, how do you get peace with God? Being justified by faith. That is, you have been made clean and clear with God. Everything has been taken care of. It has, God is just and the justifier of those who put their trust in Jesus Christ. There is, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. But he goes on to say in Romans 15, he said, Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. Grace to you, he would say, and peace. Colossians 3.15, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. You see, a child of God can, can have peace with God. I'm on my way to heaven. I know things are settled. My eternity is settled. And then they live their life in a state of turbulence and trouble. And they don't know how they're going to live with all the pressures of life. How are we going to get everything done? And my life is out of control. Can I tell you something? We've made a God. We've made an idol out of being in control. And then a few years ago, we came up with this thing called a pandemic. And life seemed to be out of control. And it was like, what am I going to do? I'm going to lose my job. I could lose my health, and I get it. And people live in a state of fear and worry and anxiety and stress and troubles and worries and depression. And it's mounting up more and more all the time. People can't cope with their life. You say, Morris, I'm doing fine. Good, I, I suspect you are. I trust that most of you are in this room tonight, but you know as well as I do that every time you go to bed at night, the next day you get up, there could be trouble that's going to hit you square in the face. It's going to disturb you and change, uh, change your world. It may be a doctor's report. It could be an accident. It could be a word about one of your kids. And all of a sudden, there's stress that is off the charts for you. We don't know when, don't know where, and don't know why. But there is a God in heaven who has ordained and orchestrated that hardship to come into our life. And Jesus was looking at them, and he's looking at us, and he says, I'm going to leave you something that you're going to need. You're going to need my peace. You know, we don't get any help in the world in which we live in. I mean, you turn on the TV and the commercials and the advertisers are trying to tell you that everything you have in life is insufficient. You, you, need, you need our car. This is the car 
uh, that's going to uh, do things that your old piece of junk can't do and uh, your rust bucket is about to fall apart. You need this truck. You need this car. Well, help yourself if you want to get a new vehicle, but that's not going to give peace. And somebody says, hey, this is the phone of the future. Here is the phone that you need. I'm telling you, it is, it's not 5G, it's 17G. I mean, it's got everything. It'll, it'll, it'll brush your teeth and vacuum the carpets and drive your car and occasionally make a phone call. It is the phone of the future. You need it. And you look at your old phone and you say, I, I'm really living without. And the fact is, you can go through life thinking, I just don't have all the necessities of life. And Jesus says, no matter what's going around you, I give you my peace. My peace. Would you see something here quickly? Notice what he says. He says, peace I leave with you. He's telling us here, and I'll say all this as quickly as I can. He's teaching us, number one, the necessity of peace. The necessity of peace. The word you there is in the plural. You say, well, isn't that something? Yeah, well, it is. When you recognize this, friend, Jesus was talking to every single one of those disciples. He didn't say, now some of you need to pay close attention. Uh, seven of you disciples need to really listen because this is, I'm going to leave you my peace. The, the, the rest of you, you're fine. You're probably not going to need this peace. But the rest, no, it's not what he said. He said, this is a necessity for every single one of you. Who was he saying it to? He was saying it to men that he's already been using. He's saying it to men who have seen Jesus work. He's saying it to men that would be taking the gospel across the known world. He was saying it to people who would write portions of scripture. People who had already been used of the Lord. These are strong followers of the Lord. And Jesus said, you're going to need my peace. You're going to need it. So don't sit here tonight and think that what Morris is preaching on is something that's just for weak Christians. This is just for shallow Christians. This is for puny Christians. No, friend, this is for every one of God's people. He says, it is a necessity. I'm leaving this. You're going to need this. And the sad thing is, many times, we don't know we have it because we're all torn up and we're worried and we're frantic and we're troubled. Why? Well, because of some individual who's come along and they've done something, whether it be at home or at work, or at school, or in life, somewhere that somebody that we know, somebody we don't know, some individuals come along and they've said something or done something and they snatch away your peace. They snatch away your joy. And you let that next door neighbor, you let that boss, you let somebody at church, you let somebody in life keep you from enjoying the fullness of life like Jesus wants you to enjoy. Folks, this is not the power of positive thinking. This is not live your best life now, like the clown down in Houston, Texas would say. No, he is saying, I'm giving you my peace, a settled calmness in the midst of hardship and trouble. This is not the elimination of trouble. This is the addition of peace. And he's saying here, you're going to need this. It's a necessity. Sometimes individuals take away the joy of life. Sometimes incidents, events take away the joy of life. Sometimes isolation, you feel alone. You feel like you're living around a lot of people, but nobody has time for you and you just feel isolated and alone. And maybe sometimes it's just your own introspection. You're just thinking about yourself. Look, folks, when you and I lose our peace, can I tell you, it'll affect your, li it'll affect your home. It'll affect your marriage. 
It'll affect the way in which you talk to your kids. It'll affect the way in which you interact with those who you know best and they know you best. It'll affect your home when you're living without peace. There's no joy in the house. You, you endure one another. You don't enjoy each other. You don't enjoy life with one another. Your peace has been taken away. Somebody else took it away. It'll affect your home. It'll affect the way in which you raise your kids. It'll affect the way you talk to your siblings. It'll affect, it'll affect the people uh, that you work with. And people will look at you and they'll say, I don't need your Christianity. I don't need your Savior that you've talked to me about before. You seem to be miserable. You seem to not be enjoying life. Why? Your peace is gone. Sometimes we become cynical. We only see the negatives, the negative in life. We see negative in others. We see the negative in us. We just see the negative in life. And if you're spending a lot of time watching the news, this could happen. You get headline hysteria. You're just looking at stuff like that, and you start thinking, man, what's this world coming to? Come on, folks. We know the end chapter. It's, uh, we're on the winning team. Okay? It doesn't make any difference. What the, 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 I know it's sad, but we're seeing puzzle pieces coming together. Don't let it take away your peace. Don't let the nature of this world and the condition of what I call Romans 1 life in this planet that's morally collapsing in front of us, don't let it snatch away your peace. It'll affect your home. It'll affect your ministry to other people. And sometimes things just go from bad to worse. I think about Naomi. She was just doing what she was supposed to do as a wife. She didn't ask for this. I lost my kids. I lost my husband. I didn't even want to come to Moab. I'm just doing what I'm supposed to do. And sometimes it seems like you do what you're supposed to do and it still goes bad. You remember David said in Psalm 42, he said it a couple of times, he he started talking to himself. He said this, why are you cast down, O my soul? He's talking to himself. It's like he's separated uh, from his soul and he's saying, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, who shall yet be the health of my countenance. He's talking to himself. I like what the old preacher of yesteryear said. He, uh, David stopped listening to himself and started talking to himself. You start listening to yourself, your, yourself starts telling you, oh, couldn't be any worse. Oh, things are getting bad. Oh, I just don't know. It's going to be worse and worse. When I was a kid growing up, I loved missionaries. I loved missionaries. And whenever we had missionaries in church, I used to try to sit up as close as I could because if, if they brought something out and they showed it to us, I wanted to be up close so I could see it. Every once in a while, not much, probably less than that many times as I was a kid, five or less times, some missionary would get up there and he'd just kind of look like he'd been wearing the weight of the world on his shoulders and he'd start talking about how bad it was over in lower Latvia or something, you know, and, and the whole time he's talking, it looked like he was literally sinking behind the pulpit, you know, <laughs> talking about how bad it was. And he'd say, pray for us. We don't have what you folks here in America have. No, I was an eight-year-old boy, and I'm thinking, didn't you know that before you went? I mean, looks like, looks like you should have known that. You know, do a little research next time, wouldn't you? 
He said, pray for us. We have a few needs. I, mean, I can see them. They, they pull out a sheet of paper. We have a few needs. I could use a new left sock. My, my right sock, I think, will make it another year. But. And then he had the audacity at the end of his spiel, which was supposed to be about 15 or 20 minutes. It seemed more like an hour and a half. He'd say, well, in closing, let me encourage all the boys and girls and you teenagers why don't you come over and join me and be with us? I'm out there on the front row saying, no way, I'm not about to join you. I don't want to be with you. You're miserable. No, I didn't actually stand up, but I thought it. Oh man, I don't want to be with that guy. I loved it when somebody would come up and they would tell us what God was doing and I'd say, oh God, is that what you want me to do? That's great. They didn't let the issues and burdens and problems and the sorrows and the hardships of their ministry cause them to just drag along and say, I don't think we're going to make it. Jesus said, this is a necessity. When you start comparing the size of your problems to the size of what you can do about it, you're going to lose your hope. You're going to lose your peace. But when you compare the size of your problems to the size of your God... You say, we got this. He's got it. It's going to be just fine. Everything's going to work out just great. Why? Because he says, I'm going to give you my peace. I don't think God's people often know what Jesus is saying here. I don't know how many times I've kept up with this when things are going wrong and it seems like things are just not the way I want them to be. I'm thinking, why is this happening? And I think sometimes we forget what the Lord has promised here. I give you my peace. Lynn came home one time and she said, I bought us some uh, new toothbrushes. I said, oh, hey, great, thanks. And so I was brushing my teeth, you know, two or three weeks in and so forth. I've been using it for a while. And one morning I was uh, rinsing my mouth and shaking my toothbrush. And I hit the toothbrush with my hand or on the side of the sink. I don't know. And all of a sudden my toothbrush started going. I said, Lynn, my toothbrush is vibrating. She said, are you just now realizing that I bought you a vibrating toothbrush? I said, I didn't know it. I've been doing it the old-fashioned way, getting a little workout while brushing my teeth. She goes, what do you think that little button is on there? I I thought it was decoration. I don't know what that is. Push, push, how about that? I didn't know what I had. Friends, I'm not trying to be goofy. I'm trying to make a point. Jesus was saying to troubled disciples, and if you don't need this now, you wait. There's going to be a time soon, probably, in which you're going to need to remember, Jesus left me something. He left me peace. The necessity of peace, quickly, number two, the superiority of this peace. Look at the verse again. He says, peace I leave with you. Look at this. My peace I give unto you. Not, 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 the, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. What does the world give? The world gives a cheap, counterfeit type of peace. A peace that only comes when your favorite ball team finally wins a championship game. 
The, the kind of peace that comes only when all the bills are finally paid. The kind of peace that comes only when your kid finally passes Algebra 2. After four tries. Uh, the, the, the peace that comes, oh, I shouldn't say that, it may be true. Uh, the, the kind of peace that only comes when, when the, your, your, your life seems to have all the pieces coming together. When your boss commends you and the, there's a pay raise and the retirement fund seems to be really doing well and everything is going, you know, hey, this is wonderful. I'm at peace. Well, enjoy it. But there are times in which all that begins to unravel and you know it's true. And Jesus says, I'm not going to give you a cheap peace, a counterfeit peace, a conditional peace. I'm going to give you my peace. You say, okay, Morris, what's the point? The point is, a few hours from this moment, these disciples would see Jesus with people plucking out of his beard, spitting in his face, planting thorns that are about this big on top of his head, hating him, beating him, leaving him as if it, he, he didn't even look like a human being and hanging him on the cross and not one time did Jesus retaliate. He was reviled and he reviled not back. He was like a lamb being led to the slaughter and he opened not his mouth. You see no anxiety attack from Jesus. You don't see any, oh, okay, what's going on here? You say, yeah, well, he was the son of God. Let me tell you something. The closer you get to the Lord, the more you remind yourself of what he's giving you, the more you can recognize he's got this. I don't have to see tomorrow. I don't have to know all the details. My father's got it. I don't have to be anxious. I don't have to be emotionally broken down. My savior showed me the example of one who obeyed his father and finished what he was called upon to do. It's like a person going to a neighborhood, we've done this before, in which you're getting a house built. And those builders are building, and, and if, you, if you see them working, usually on those early days you've got nothing but mud and dirt all turned over and lumber thrown here and yon and, and, uh, and, uh, and trash from the workers throwing all those Gatorade bottles every which way, and, and uh, it's a total mess and so forth, and you're thinking, is this going to be my home? It looks like a third world country around here. It looks like a bomb went off around here. And you keep going back and you see a little bit of improvement, but not much. And, and some framework begins to go up. Do you get frantic? I don't think they're going to do it. No. Why? Because there's a designer, there's a builder, there's someone with a master plan who says, it's a mess now, but we're going to build something that you wanted. And when life is a total catastrophe and a mess and it's all in cattywampus, you don't need to fall apart and say, what are, you, what are you doing? God, I don't understand. He says to you, you don't have to understand. I got this. I've given you my peace. Rest. Calm down. And you may be in distress here tonight. Isaiah said in Isaiah 26, 3, thou wilt keep him in perfect Peace. Not just peace, perfect peace. That's a double whammy. It's a double statement of peace. Whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. Mr. Havergal and his wife were going to have a baby. He really wanted a boy. 
And he couldn't wait to name his boy after his favorite martyr, Nicholas Ridley. But he had a girl, Frances. So he gave her a middle name of Ridley. Frances Ridley Havergal. And she was brilliant. She knew eight languages fluently. She read her Bible every day either in Hebrew or in Greek. She could speak so many different languages. She was so smart, never got married. She began to write music, write poems, and such a blessing. And many of the songs that would be in your hymn book were written by Frances Ridley Havergal. But she was an unhealthy lady. And she constantly had problems physically. And as she reached her upper 30s and early 40s, the doctor said to her, you have peritonitis and I can do nothing for you. It's going to take your life. I don't know how much longer you have to live. And she said, okay. I'll be okay. And her friend said, what are you going to do? She said, I'll just keep serving my Lord till he's through with me. And then she took pen with paper and she wrote these words. Like a river glorious is God's perfect peace. Over all victorious in its bright increase. Perfect, yet it floweth. Fuller every day. Perfect, yet it groweth. Deeper all the way. Stayed upon Jehovah. Hearts are fully blessed. Finding as he promised. Perfect peace and rest. The necessity of peace, the superiority of peace. And if you're thinking with me tonight, and I'm going to finish as soon as I can, you're thinking, Morris, this almost sounds like preacher talk, pie in the sky, just things that we're supposed to know. Well, that's good to acknowledge something. But you say, I'm kind of on the practical side, preacher man. I need to know, how do I access? Where, where is the accessibility of this peace? Well, it's in this verse. We see the necessity of it and the superiority of it. How do you have the accessibility of it? Well, look at it. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. So stop being troubled and don't be afraid. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You say, preacher, I don't, I don't see anything there about how to pick up peace. It's in the words give and gave. You got it. Access it. You say, how? By taking the Lord at his word. If you had the wonderful privilege of sitting down with somebody and presenting the Savior to them and showing them that they need the peace with God, to come to know Jesus personally as their Savior, what would you share with them? You'd say to them that we're all sinners, and we all are, and that sin has separated us from Almighty God, and a holy God cannot let sin go uh, undealt with. And you would say to that person, and God has promised that if you'll call upon Him, recognizing that you're a sinner, and that He sent His Son to die for you, and accept what He did for you, and accept His work for you, how? By faith, you would tell that individual, then you can know that your sins are forgiven. 
you're on your way to heaven. Isn't that a great truth? And the truth is, most of you, if not all of you, have come to Christ by faith. You've been offered His grace, and you received it by faith. And right now, tonight, it's not hard to understand that we received that by faith. And now He says to you as a believer, you want my peace? Take it. I've given it to you. Access it by faith. You say, what does that mean? Morris, I don't feel like I have peace. Then I mean this. Tell your feelings to take a hike. They're wrong. You say, yeah, easy for you to say. Really? You think that life's always a piece of cake for me? No, friends, I have troubles and burdens and hardships just like anybody else in this room, one sort or another. You say, but sometimes I feel like he's far away. Then your feelings are wrong. He said, I'm right there with you. I'll never leave you. I'll never, no, never, no, never cast you out. We're together. We're in this thing through eternity. Yeah, but, 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 but I don't know if he's listening to my heart's cry. Oh, yes, he is. He said, come to me, call unto me, come unto me, and I will give you rest. Take him at his word. And in the darkest of nights, literally, or just in a sense of your life when things are more troublesome than ever before, take God at his word. It may sound like this. Lord, I'm struggling. I'm fearful. I don't know how I'm going to face this conversation. I don't know how I'm going to deal with this issue. Lord, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm, burnt. I'm scared about this surgery. Lord, I'm a little concerned about my child. Father, I, I'm, I'm scared about losing my job or losing my health or fill in the blank. And you say, oh God, your word promised me that you, gave, you give me peace. So as best I know how, I'm going to take it your word. Amen. And I'm going to access that peace right now. Whether my feelings feel like it or not, can I tell you something? It's probably not going to be a one-time statement. You're going to have to keep coming back to it and say, Lord, I'm being troubled again. I'm, I'm taking you at your word. I believe you. I believe you. Here's, here's what the psalmist said. Psalm 27, he said in verse 13, I would have fainted. I would have fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord here in the land of the living. He says, I know it's going to be perfect in glory, but he says, I would, have, I would have passed out and fainted with all the troubles going on unless I had taken God at his word and believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord, his vindication in this world, in my life. I repeat, everything going fine for you tonight? Good. Enjoy it. Just keep going to bed at night. Keep getting up in the morning. And there are going to be times in which you're troubled. Your marriage, your kids, your job, your health. I don't know. Jesus said, don't be troubled. Don't be afraid. I give you my peace. The kid was in my youth group by the name of Mike. Great kid. Mouth was always moving. Every youth group's got one of those kind of kids in it. Always talking. 
Always laughing at something. Made people laugh. I loved it. Loved him. He was one of those kids that you, I personally, I, 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 I hate to see the day when he graduated from high school and would go off to college. I just loved having him around. He was a senior in high school and he came home from school one day and his mother said, Michael, I need you to run up to the little store into the street and, and uh, pick up a loaf of bread for tonight's meal. Mike either got on his motorcycle or drove the car, maybe even just jogged up there, I don't know, just up the, up the road. It's a little mom and pop market, not a full-blown grocery store, just a small, somewhere between the convenience store and a grocery store. And he walked in, they had no customers, rarely did they, they didn't get much business, but Mike walked in the store and there was a, there was a depressed, sad, uh, down in the dumps, wrinkled up lady behind the counter and she. When the door opened, she just simply said, Hello, how you doing? She didn't really care how anybody was doing. She just greeted people. Mike looked at her and he was like a whirlwind. He looked at her and he said, I'm doing terrific, how about you? She looked at him like, what planet are you from? Went and got the loaf of bread, made the purchase and left. Second day, soon thereafter, he went back to that same store for his mother and walked in. Same woman, hello, how you doing? He said, hey, good to see you again. I'm doing super, good to see you. I'll be right there. She watched him like, you're not for real. He got the dozen eggs, whatever, made the purchase and left. Third day, he walked in the store. Hello, how you doing? He said, are you the only one who works around here? You're, all, you're always here when I show up. I got to get something from my mom. I'll see you. I'll be right there. Fourth day. Hello, how you doing? I'm doing terrific. Good to see you. Fifth day. Hello, how you doing? I'm doing terrific. Good to see you. I got to get some stuff from mom. Got brought up to the cash register. And before the lady turned to the cash register to ring him up, she looked at him and she said, kid, Every time you come into my store, you say, I'm terrific. She said, do you ever have a bad day? He said, yes, ma'am. I have problems. I'm a teenager. I have problems. She said, how come I never see it when you come in? He said, I'm glad you asked. Mike never went anywhere without a handy gospel track, either in his pocket or in his car or somewhere nearby. He he. He gave her that gospel leaflet and he said, I want you to read this. It explains to you why I am as I am. And he said, my mom's waiting for me. I got to go home. But I'm going to come back and make sure you, you read this, okay? She said, all right. He came home and he called me, Brother Morris, pray for me. And he told me the story I just told you. I said, all right, Mike. It was either that night or the next day, Mike walked in that store and he walked up to the counter and he said, did you read what I gave you? Yeah, kid, I read it. He said, did it make sense to you? She said, yeah, it did, sort of. He said, let me make sure. He took a small Bible that he had in his hand and he said, we're all sinners. We all are. And we've been separated from God as a result of it. You see, God is in his holiness. He cannot overlook our sin. And there's a divine wrath reserved for anyone who doesn't accept his plan. There's a war between humanity and God. But Jesus 
He caused the war to be over. He stepped in between and paid what you could not pay. He said, ma'am, there's no more war inside of me. I'm at peace with God. And he said, I called on him and I asked him to become my personal savior. And that's what you need to do. And on that following Sunday, Mike stood up in our youth department, our youth group, and he gave testimony of what I just told right here. As a 17-year-old boy, he led a depressed, crusty, weary, sad woman to Jesus Christ. And you know why too, don't you? Because she saw somebody who had peace. Jesus, when he left this earth and just before he left, he looked at his disciples. He said, Shalom, peace. You can read this in John 20. And he said, as the Father sent me, even so send I you. I came to show you the way to peace. Now you go tell others about that peace. Do you need personal peace tonight to be at peace with God? Do you need as a child of God to be at peace, to have peace, the peace of God in your life? Wherever you stand tonight, the fact is all of us need to be about the matter of explaining this peace to those who don't have it. And as we go on this week, would you do what you should and can and ask God, open the doors for me to invite somebody to at least come to a service where the gospel will be presented. Lord, open a door for me to be able to show people the way to know this peace. Don't walk out of here and say, I got to add the word terrific to my vocabulary. No, no. That was one kid's personality. You got to be Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God, God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.